Thanks as always for having me on, Kevin. I am the Skipper Dude, proud Broncos fan since 1984. So today, with the 2019 free agency period officially past its prime and now clearly in decline, I wanted to weigh in with some thoughts on the Broncos' key free agent pickups, not so much from the standpoint of whether the signings are going to be positives or negatives for John Elway, Vic Fangio, and the Broncos, but more from the standpoint of does our opinion on the caliber of these free agent signings matter? Does it matter what I think or Kevin thinks or the brilliant minds at Mile High Report think? I mean, do, do we as fans honestly have enough of a handle on the NFL free agency landscape that we can judge signings like Kareem Jackson, Jawan James, and Bryce Callahan before we've ever watched any of them play it down with the Denver Broncos? Or is history going to eventually bear us out as just being a bunch of emotional slubs who are full of it when it comes to evaluating NFL talent? I, I thought this was an interesting point to ponder, so I decided to make it a journalistic endeavor and look at some of the past best and worst free agency pickups of the John Elway era and see how fans at Mile High Report reacted to them at the time, on the day of each signing. Has history been kind to our collective knee-jerk reactions to signings like DeMarcus Ware and Russell Okung, or, or were we off target then as perhaps we are today with our 2019 free agency class? First, though, I wanted to throw in some thoughts on Jackson, James, and Callahan. I think I'm in the majority opinion with Jackson and Callahan. These are some nice cornerback signings, but probably not as meaningful as Kakeem Tlaib in 2014. Jackson and Callahan were pro football focuses number two and number three free agent cornerbacks for 19, uh, 2019, and neither is going to break the bank. So at worst, these are pretty solid signings. Perhaps you're even getting a bit of a Vic Fangio discount with Callahan. And yeah, I get it that Jackson will turn 31 in April, and he's going to be in physical decline, but that really doesn't bother me. Okay, I get he'll be 33 when his contract expires in 2021, but think about it. Champ Bailey was 36 when the Broncos cut him in 2014. And while Kareem Jackson is no Champ Bailey, mind you, he makes his mark like Bailey did with solid fundamentals, and good tackling, which is which is going to help slow his career decline as compared with a guy like a Bradley Roby who relies more on his physical talents. When, when you step back and start to compare the 2019 defense to the Broncos' legendary 2015 defense, it actually starts to stack up somewhat well. Ask yourself who you would rather have a cornerback, the 2015 version of Chris Harris with Keep Tlaib and Bradley Roby, or the 2019 version of Chris Harris with Kareem Jackson and Bryce Callahan. I'd say it's reasonably close. If, Ra if Roby's having a good day, I think you take the 2015 cornerbacks. If Roby's having a bad day, I'd probably go with this group. You know, less upside than 2015, but less downside as well, and probably more dependable. And in addition, your pass rush duo of Von Miller and Bradley Chubb is probably a step up from 2015's Von Miller, Shaq Barrett, and the physical shell of DeMarcus Ware, although you have no depth yet for the 2019 edge rushers. So this group isn't quite at 2015 levels yet, but the, but the potential's there. The, the other major strength of the 2015 defense, Wade Phillips, is starting to stack up pretty well as well. Vic Fangio and Donatel are no slouches as defensive geniuses, when you put them up against our beloved Wade Phillips. In fact, it's probably not far off to call that particular comparison a push as well. So no, we're not at this point. You don't have an answer for 2015's Malik Jackson 
or TJ Ward factors, you're still building your D-line depth, and you have basically nothing at inside linebacker yet. So, so really, this is not the 2015 Denver Broncos defense reincarnate, but there are definitely some pieces in place, and the NFL draft is still ahead. Now, the move I really don't like is Juwan James at four years and $52 million. Yeah, he may very well turn out to be worth the money. He looks horribly expensive right now, but, but I won't be surprised if by year three of this contract, it looks like a bargain under the NFL's new collective bargaining agreement, assuming they get one. Think about Von Miller. That, that contract looked unbearable when he first signed it, but as salaries rise, it's actually starting to look like somewhat of a bargain. With Juwan James... I honestly don't hate either the player or the contract. I mean, they both seem to be pretty decent. But what I don't like is the fact that you brought in the NFL's number one offensive coach, defensive offensive line coach, Mike Munchak, and then you spend premium free agent dollars on his position group. I mean, yeah, perhaps Munchak turns James into an off-the-charts NFL right tackle, and you get $14 million in your in value for your $13 million investment. That's a stretch, right? But, but I suppose it's possible. But wouldn't you go get, why wouldn't you go get a $3 million second or third tier guy right tackle and let Munchak coach him up to a league average $6 or $7 million in value, then spend that extra $10 million upgrading your smoking hole at tight end or, or get some more safety depth or perhaps even Fangio's inside linebacker? So yeah, I really don't get the James signing. Perhaps, perhaps Elway was trying to curry favor and goodwill with Munchak a little like he did with Bill Kolar back in 2016 when he drafted Adam Gotsis. If Munchak was pounding the table demanding Elway go get Juwan James, then I suppose I can warm up to this signing a little, like we all did with Gotsis. But otherwise, it feels to me like Elway let his, his available cap money burn a hole in his pocket, and he was just hungry to make a day one splash in free agency. I don't like it. I just don't like this deal. So anyways, back to the topic for today. Broncos country appears to have given Elway roughly a B, B minus or so for the Kareem Jackson signing, a C or C minus for the James, you know, overpay um, at right tackle and something closer to an A minus for Callahan, you know, especially with the Jackson Callahan duo. Uh, and it's gone over really, really well, especially teamed up with Chris Harris Jr., but when we look back at these signings three or four years from now, what are the chances that these grades are still going to look like anything even resembling accurate? Well, as a little scientific experiment, I thought I'd look at the three worst and the three best signings of the John Elway era uh, for, for free agency and, and, and look back at the knee-jerk reactions right here on Mile High Report the day of each to see if the fans had the signings sniffed out right away or whether we were, as typical knee-jerking fans, not seeing things as clearly as John Elway. So let's start with Elway's three worst free agent signings. Now, I may not get 100% agreement here, but the three names I'm going to throw out there are Russell Okung in 2016, Joe Mays in 2011, and Menelik Watson in, in 2017. I suppose there's a case to be made for some guys like Donald Stevenson or, or Mark Sanchez, or perhaps even Demarius Thomas, who was way overpaid for what he produced in, in his prime years. But but we'll go with these three. So with Okung, if you remember, this was kind of an odd deal, where he represented himself as an agent. And he signed a five-year contract, but with a one-year opt-out for the Broncos, which basically effectively made it a prove-it type of a deal, 
with the hopes that Okung would become an anchor to the Broncos' offensive line after a revolving door in 2015 that included guys like Ryan Harris and Michael Schofield and even Ty Sambrello playing left tackle. But, but Okung, with no thanks to some bad quarterbacking from Trevor Simeon and, and Paxton Lynch, he ended up 2016 as second in the NFL with a whopping 50 quarterback hurries to go with 11 penalties. And the Broncos, of course, went on to decline the other four years of his contract and drafted Garrett Bowles in 2017. Now, looking at the commentary on Mile High Report the day that this signing happened, March 17, 2016, really the mood was one of relief. The Broncos were moving on from the often injured Ryan Clady, if you remember that, than, than it was either strongly for or against Russell Okung. Scotty Payne, who wrote the article announcing the signing, said simply, the Broncos' offensive line looks much better than the one that took the field during Super Bowl 50. Now, looking at it in a retrospect, that looks off base in hindsight, but, but honestly, it wasn't a bad observation at the time. Okung was bad for the Broncos, you know, as, as a Bronco, but, but probably he was no worse than either Michael Schofield or Ryan Harris, the, the Super Bowl 50 um, um, tackle starters. And it's very interesting to see the comments that turned salmon on that day. It's one of the things I'm using to um, to, to to decide the, where where the fan the fan pulse was. They they were actually pretty spot on. So whether or not the folks posting comments had their fingers on the pulse of things that day, the folks who were wrecking or or, or liking the comments certainly had their their um, their finger on the pulse. Here, here are the salmon comments. Uh, number one, sign for five years. We'll play a total of 15 games. Sigh. Posted by Jump Slash. Uh, Okung actually played 16 games in 2016, but that was a solid comment. Uh, number two, Salmon comment. Clady missed nothing after the basketball injury, which happened in the 2010 offseason before his second contract. Unfortunately, Okung has been equally injury prone over the past three years, missed 13 games, and we just paid him more money, $10.6 per million per year, than we were on the hook for Clady, 9.75. Million per year, and Okung has never rated as highly as Clady. I don't love it. World would be would much rather have had Clady at six to eight million, and that was posted by a non 76 returns. Clady only played nine games, if you remember, for the New York Jets uh, in 2016 before he retired from football. So, so this comment probably missed the mark a little bit, even though it was he uh, was Salmon at the time. Now, quoting from Pro Football Focus, Russell Okung, left tackle. Okung has been able to muster one season in his six-year career that justified his top 10 selection. That year was 2012, when he was our 10th highest-rated tackle. Every year since, though, he's graded out negatively as injuries have plagued his development. He's only 28, but and there's still hope that he can regain that form. But even if he can't, a slightly below-average tackle is still a massive upgrade for a lot of teams. Exciting. Posted by Dan Hampton. That's a solid comment. Okay, so the next one comes from Pete Barron. He said, so, we give up an often injured left tackle for $9.5 million for an often injured left tackle at $10.6 million. I trust you, Elway, but man, you're making it very difficult right now. That was probably the most spot on of all the comments. And then, and then the next one, um, the, there was a comment that said, safe deal for the Broncos, to which Pete Barron again replied, and it turned salmon. Even better than that, actually, a $5 million base and $3 million incentives for a max of $8 million, probably going to be a one-year stopgap deal because unless he's injury-free and at an all-pro level, no way Elway guarantees the remaining four years 
at $12 million per. So, good job, Elway. I said Okung was an $8 million a year guy, and you'll get him for 5 to $8 million per year. Posted by P. Barron. Uh, they're pretty solid analysis, but it, you know, it, it did miss how bad Okung was in 2016. But I'd say all in all, Broncos country, I'm going to give you or give us a, a B-plus for analysis on Okung. We pretty much had that one sniffed out, that it was not a great sign-in, even though it was a strange uh, one-year team-friendly kind of a deal. Okay, so on to number two, Joe Mays. Now, if you are not a pre-Peyton Manning Broncos fan, you probably won't remember the name Joe Mays. But I remember having a conversation with Kevin back in 2010 when the Broncos had perhaps the worst defense in the NFL. And Joe Mays, the undersized middle linebacker who had some thump to him but, but was an embarrassment in pass coverage, kind of became the poster child of the ineptitude, not only just of that defense, but of the entire 2-14 and 14 Josh McDaniels disaster. For reasons Kevin and I never understood, John Elway turned around during his first full offseason as Broncos GM in 2012 and re-signed Joe Mays to a three-year, $12 million contract. There's honestly not much coverage of the Joe Mays signing on Mile High Report because it came on the heels of the Peyton Manning signing in 2012. But John Bennett had an article shortly after the Mays signing, and he liked the signing. He says, I, for one, am a big fan of Mays' hard-hitting style. Are there limitations? Yes. We know there are struggles in pass coverage. There is a huge upside as well. Mays is a special team stud. He's also a dominant run stuffer, and pro football focus has laid it out for us in a stat they call run-stop percentage. In retrospect, that comment in John Bennett's article kind of missed the mark, I think. But interestingly, the first comment from a poster named Bob, last name B-L-O-B-L-A-W, Bob Blah Blah. Okay, I, I like that name. He pretty well nailed it. He says, I think... I don't know, John, John, as in John Benna, this seems like a stretch. Just using my very untrained eye, it seemed every big running play against the Steelers, and of course that was the game that was the miracle playoff game with the iconic Tim Tebow to DT touchdown in overtime. Every, every, running, every big running play against the Steelers was a gap control issue by Mays. I don't care how hard he hits if he isn't covering his gap. Again, I don't have the football IQ of you guys, but it sure seems like like he misses gap assignments a whole bunch. And the comment of the thread actually probably goes to Saturn. Um, another, another one that went salmon. I, for one, think Mays is a complete waste of time. Yeah, he's good at run stopping. I'll go out on that limb and hand that to you, even though his angles suck. What kind of league is this? That's the key question. Unless you're playing the Jets around week seven, when Tebow is moved to the starting position, you will see pass more often. That is where Mays falls apart. He's too slow to cover the inside receiving option, and his angles make it even worse. When he's out there and the other team calls a passes like we are playing with ten and a half players on the field. Sure, he can get some Del Rio magic all, all up in it and, and become a better player this training camp. I'm not holding my breath for one instant on it, though. My eyes tell me he will be exploited more than he will be an asset on the field. So again, I think John Benham may have been a little clickbaity with his article, I was trying to rile things up, but Bronco Country did a good job of calling out the abomination that was Joe Mays in 2012 and labeled it, labeling this as a bad contract. Okay, B+. Plus. So now, on to possibly the worst contract signing in the Elway uh, era, Menelik Watson in 2017. Again, Scotty Payne reporting kind of hedged his bets 
in, in his article. He says, Watson is a high upside signing because he, he entered the league with a ton of upside, but has yet to reach it because of nagging injuries highlighting him. So obviously the Broncos hope he can shake the injury bug and finally reach his potential with the team going forward. But now, if, if, the, um, if the article originally was, was a little bit noncommittal, the comments that start the, the, the comment thread are absolutely hilarious. So the first one, No Salmon, um, says, it's a post by Caligula, says, No way Stevenson, as in Donald Stevenson, stays now. Bye-bye. Okay. Um, the, the second one was Salmon, and it, was, it came from Tim Lynch, who said, That would be premature. This guy can't stay healthy, ever. He makes Romo look like an Iron Man. Game started. 2016, 5. 2015, 0. 2014, 9. 2013, 3. This, kind of, this signing kind of sucks. Hopes it, hope it works out, though. Okay, good comment from Tim Lynch. The next one had no salmon. Didn't get, didn't get likes. Uh, sometimes players need a change of scenery. That might be cliche, but others have had access and health by changing teams, venues, Cities that was posted by AJ Broncos. The next one is Salmon and was posted by VM33 and says, and sometimes they just suck. Okay, that, that, that was hilarious. The next one, not Salmon. Sometimes, guess we'll have to wait and find out by AJ Broncos. Next one was Salmon and says, sometimes the glass is half full because you already sucked out the other half. Okay, that was by uh, posted by Orange and Blues Broncos. Uh, I'm sorry, Orange and Blues Brothers. The best comment, though, uh, on this thread was pulled from Walter Football and, again, posted by VM33. And it actually wasn't Salmon, but it was a great comment. I find it funny that the Broncos, for about 15 years, were able to laugh at the Raiders and all of their blunders. Oakland was an incompetent organization and couldn't do anything right. Now it's the Raiders' turn. Not that the Broncos are incompetent or anything close to that, but, the, but Denver signing one of the worst players on Oakland's roster for big money is a complete role reversal. And I imagine that the Raiders are laughing at Denver right now. And yes, Menelik Watson has been that horrible. Watson has struggled to stay healthy throughout his career, and he's been terrible while on the field. He's a liability in both pass protection and run blocking, and he won't improve Denver's horrible offensive line in the slightest. Okay, great. So, th- so there, there are some comments down thread that are a little bit more hopeful and also some that went salmon. But, so I can't give Broncos country an A-plus for sniffing out this horrible signing of Menelik Watson. But, but with a big assist from VM33, I'm going to give this um, analysis by Broncos country an A-minus. Okay, so B-plus, B-plus, A-minus. I'm giving Broncos a solid B-plus for seeing some of John Elway's worst free agent signings for what they were the day they happened. Good, good on you, Broncos country. All right, so now... Let's look at the other side of the equation, Elway's best free agent moves. I think this list is actually more compelling than the free agent bust list because my vote for Elway's top three, Emmanuel Sanders, Demarcus Ware, and Peyton Manning, all came to Denver with some issues. Emmanuel Sanders was still young. He was just entering his prime but he had not achieved all that much in Pittsburgh before entering free agency. DeMarcus Ware, of course, was at the tail end of his career and had come off a season where his back had been so bad it was hard to watch him play for the Cowboys. And, of course, Peyton Manning was only six months or so removed from beginning a rehabilitation from neck surgery that was so serious he had struggled to even throw a football at all for a time. 
If you remember, part of the reason Peyton signed in Denver was because he had rehabilitated with his ex-college roommate, Todd Helton of the Rockies. So how did Broncos country do with these three signings and evaluating them the day they happened? All right, let's start with ES on, on uh, March 16, 2014. The lead story that day was written by Kyle Montgomery and really doesn't discuss Sanders' merits for, for the Broncos all that much, but rather the story focuses more on the scandal caused by Sanders' agent, believe it or not, who had a verbal deal in place with the Chiefs but actually chose the Broncos instead. So in the comments section, McGeorge gets things rolling by basically laying an egg. Okay, he says $5 million per year seems too steep. Rather have Knicks at the deal he signed with Indy. Casey is so much worse than us. Who cares if they had Sanders or not? This is our only UFA signing. I don't like it or even care for it. All right. So salmon, here's a salmon comment down, down thread. Um, it says, I bet that Peyton makes Sanders look better than Eric Decker. That's what the greatest of all time does. Posted by NH Peyton fan 18. Okay, good comment there. Uh, the next one that was uh, salmon came. Actually, this was a quote from Vic Lombardi. Um, posted by the Bulgarian, it says, The Broncos did not overpay. Most people in the NFL thought Sanders would command 7 or $8 million per year. Broncos never considered him a real option. They're elated. Okay, very good comment there. And, and as you get into the thread, it kind of descends into a trash-talking uh, mosh pit between the Broncos and Chiefs fans, especially over the fact that uh, Sanders had had a, a uh, verbal contract with the Chiefs. So I'm going to um, um, rate this one... Um, so, because other than Vic Lombardi, I don't think there was any real sense back in 2014 of just how iconic this signing would end up being, how much Emmanuel Sanders would come to mean to the Denver Broncos organization. And because of that, I'm, I'm going to rate this a C- minus for, for Broncos country. Not a particularly good analysis. All right, so next, let's look at DeMarcus Ware. He signed with the Broncos on March 12, 2014 for three years and $30 million. It was a sizable contract for that year for a guy who was at the very tail end of his career. The article was written by John Heath, who, who said, Reactions to the signings have been mixed. Many believe Denver overpaid for Ware's services. Others, including many Broncos players on Twitter, are excited about the move. Very interesting that, uh, that here the, the uh, fan base and the media was kind of against the deal, but the players really loved it. The players, I think, were, were had their finger on the pulse of this one. But one thing is certain, John Elway has the Broncos in win-now mode. Look out, NFL. Okay, that came from John, John, John Heath. The reaction in the comments section mostly revolved around whether or not it was a good use of Pat Boland's money. But there was some celebration that went with it as well. Very first comment comes from a poster named 91 Beast Mode. It said, Dream Team. And John Heath wrote right back, actually in the same minute, and said, No, do not say that. Take it back now. Okay. Yeah, you never call a team somebody a dream team. I agree with you there, John. All right, the next comment came from Indy Bronco and said Von Werewolf. And I'm guessing actually it was it was Indy Bronco who coined the phrase because uh, he had it out there only a few minutes after after Ware signed. Next, there was a salmon comment um, from Mancar who addressed the amount of the contract and I thought he did it very well. I, I don't understand why people are upset with that number. I I. I Yes, it is a lot. It is a whole lot. But but the Bolin, but Bolin has already made up that money by the TV contracts the NFL spreads among the owners. Plus, you should be happy because Bolin and JE are all in. Would you prefer a franchise that doesn't spend money wisely? I offer you to take a look 
at the Redskins, Browns, Jets, and Dolphins. If anyone builds a team the right way through free agency, it's John Elway. The draft, not so much. And that is okay because J.E. is taking a different approach and is paying off. And, and actually, that was a good comment because he was building a, a team to win now under, under Peyton Manning. Um, but where has missed as many games as Jared Allen? Where is a bit older, but then again, so is Manning. They don't have that much time to win a Super Bowl. Okay, very good comment. But what really never, what's interesting, what really never appears is any real acknowledgement by the fans of the impact that DeMarcus Ware was going to eventually have on the maturing of Von Miller in his locker room leadership, DeMarcus Ware's, or, or his role as a sort of player coach in helping to create possibly the greatest defense in NFL history by 2015. So, I'm going to call this another miss and give Broncos country another CC- for missing the most important attribute of this signing, which was its intangible value. Hmm, very interesting. So, so now let's move on to Peyton Manning. That deal was announced March 19, 2012, to great fanfare in Denver and actually all over the league. Obviously, having been the culmination of a selection process that came down to Denver, Arizona, and San Francisco. There were a number of articles that day, and not much salmon, because there, there wasn't much reading going on. Outside of the Tim Tebow brigade coming to grips with reality, it was a day of just pure elation by, by Broncos fans. It was actually, and to tell you the truth, surprised me a little, because at the time, Peyton Manning, in 2012... There was really no guarantee that he was going to come back fully healthy from his neck surgery. And there's no guarantee that he wasn't good one good blindside sack away from being finished in the NFL. So, so Broncos country, I, I think this reaction of purulation will go down as an A+, because that's what the Peyton Manning signing ended up being. And Broncos country was on it and behind it from moment one. Okay, so what have we learned from this little exercise. If anything, it's it's that regular schlubs like Kevin and you and me who post comments and more specifically the ones who give wrecks on Mile High Report, we know our stuff. If we say that John Elway has botched the signing, then there's pretty good chance that he has botched the signing. What we seem to miss though, is as was the case with Emmanuel Sanders and DeMarcus Ware, was the intangible impact that a key signing may have for the team. Will that end up being the case with Kareem Jackson, Jawan James, and Bryce Callahan? Possibly. Hard to say. But but I'd encourage everybody to kind of keep your eye or ears to the ground over the summer and as we get into training camp and, and look for little indications of what these three add to the Broncos' culture as well as what they add on the field. Because three or four years down the road, as we look back on this past week in Denver Broncos football 2019, the free agency period, that may actually end up being the key storyline. Kevin, back to you.